The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Americans we're discussing before you listen to this podcast. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Slate's TV Club Insider Podcast for Season 3, Episode 9 of The Americans, Do Male Robots Dream of Electric Sheep? So even though this is our ninth episode of the podcast, we've actually wrapped production for the season. So if I sound a little weird today in this intro, it's because I'm recording remotely from home. Today we're going to be speaking to two women who shaped the iconic 80s look of our show. First, our costume designer, Jenny Gehrig, and then our production designer, Diane Laterman. Uh, we're here today at our writer's office in Brooklyn, New York, and we are joined by our costume designer, Jenny Gehring. Hi, Jenny. How are you? Fine. Thanks. Hi, guys. Jenny, you make everyone look nice. <laughs> Thank you, Molly. Except us. Why don't <laughs> you, why don't you dress like us? Worst. Look you at you us. You guys not think I'm it's busy enough? Horrible. Is it That's depressing a as That's a, a costume person to come to the writer's office where everyone is dressed like a teenager? Depressing? Well, I know. It's, I find it refreshing. <laughs> I feel like we're all like the antithesis of the costume shop where you go over and everyone's like really put together and fashionable and like looks great. And then you come over to the writer's office and everyone's like in jeans and like this sweater has so many holes in it. It's, it's just like, it's kind we're of a little funny. dysfunctional. No, Why can't funny. we get our acts together? I don't know. Do you I have, have a theory? Do you guys have well, a theory? I don't know. I don't have a theory, but I do know that in our costume shop, we're all, someone's depressed, someone's feeling blue. We'll be like, hey, just, just head on over to the writer's. <laughs> and, and just take a little walk around and then come on back and let me know how you feel. That's it, why we dress this way, to make you guys feel it's better. It's kind of foolproof, guys. We're just so. trying to help the team. We're yeah. just trying to help the team. Well, thank you. We, we do what we can. <laughs> Wait, we're not well-dressed? So, Jenny, when you get the script um, from the very beginning, what's sort of the first thing you do or the first thing you look at? Well, it really starts at the beginning of the season where we kind of all huddle. And by we, I mean the two Js who are sitting here. And we kind of get a sense of how we want all the characters to look. And I kind of do a big closet shop for all the characters. So I start out the season with all the characters having their own closets. And then per script, it sort of depends on the environment. It's text dependent. So it depends what's going on. I usually try to read the script without having any strong opinions, without having the designer brain at work. I try to just read it and enjoy it without thinking about the design aspect. I just try to enjoy it. Um, then I go back and I, I go through it again. And I think, okay, disguises, stunts, explosions, what's what's it going to take? And And that's the process. And then I start thinking about you know, is Elizabeth going to be feeling particularly vulnerable at a certain moment? Or is she going to be feeling really kick-ass and strong? Or is she going to be kind of bitchy to Paige? Or all the different things that are, be, you know, going to be happening. And then I'll think about the holes in her closet. And what do I need to fill in? And When we introduce a new character, not at the beginning of the season, like in Seven, we introduce uh, Walter Taffet, who's going to be around for a couple of episodes. Um, but we also introduce characters like Nagobo, who's only in one episode. How do you approach someone who's not going to be there for the whole series or is there for a shorter arc that you might not have a closet to work off of? I think it doesn't matter necessarily if it's, you know, four episodes or one episode. Well, it does matter. One episode is obviously harder because it has to be such a quick read because we don't have any time to really get to know him. And he has a backstory and he has a history. And, you know, sometimes like... In earlier versions of the script, you know, I'll I'll know more of the backstory than than the viewers will actually ever get to know. So it's I feel compelled to somehow tell that, even though it's kind of almost irrelevant. So it's that's hard because it's like trying to tell so much, and it, and but it also has to be really quick, almost subliminal storytelling. With Taffet, 
I do have a little more time. But he's also like, that guy is complex. And also Jefferson Mays brings so much to it because he's so, there's so many layers to that, to him as an actor. I find Taffet a little creepy, but then there's also this sort of like comforting side to him and he's just playing everyone. I feel like he's just playing everyone to get as much information as he can. And, you know, he's like, he's like both good cop and bad cop at the same time. And so that's another case where it's, it's sort of like, how are you going to tell that whole story with four costumes? You're not thinking about that when you're watching it. You're maybe getting some of that feeling like, oh, that, you know, that jacket looks soft or that looks scratchy or he looks uncomfortable or, or he doesn't. But, you know, that's my job to kind of get that across. So I, I was going to say, I, I always love our conversations because you never seem to start from a place where you have an idea of some look you want or some piece you want to use. It's always very much inside out for you. You know, every person has a point of view and makes choices. They don't, they're not conscious of them, but we all make these choices every single day. All of us. To Joe, wit. Yeah, to, yes, <laughs> Joe is gesticulating at the awful, awful clothes <laughs> that he and I are wearing right now. <laughs> but, but I just think about sometimes, Joe, the conversations you and I have about scene work, which sounds very similar to what you're talking about in terms of these, how you arrive at these choices, which is we never say, oh, we want this cool thing to happen. So how can we structure it dramatically? But we often say, okay, let's take a step back. What would really happen here? Yeah. If these were real people, how would this really go? Forget whether it's dramatic enough to even put in the show, but what would it really be? And, and right. if we follow that And then that it just path, organically yeah, grows. That, stuff. That's right. Yeah. That's, and, and you do the that's sa- what I you do. You do the same, yeah. It's just, it's just your means of communicating. I can't write, but this is how I talk. You know, this is how I express myself. It's the same kind of the same thing, I guess. <laughs> do, like, do our reactions to things and the director's reactions to things tend to sort of match what you're expecting? Oh, or, yeah, all the time, Joe. Well, I was going to say, like... <laughs> like every <laughs> single time. Is it like two-thirds of the time you're sitting there rolling <laughs> your eyes at us? Like, there was this email, but like in both directions, like this email went around today. The windbreaker. Where like there was this windbreaker. Oh. And it was this scene where like Elizabeth has to be in disguise, but the windbreaker is this for this sort of phone company rep she's going to play. And it's in a way very simple. But on the other hand... In all of our heads, there's some reason why this windbreaker you guys sent over that has the name of the phone company on the back is so perfect and sells the disguise. And we all went bananas on the email chain and sent you like 20 emails about I what know. geniuses you were. And I was wondering if you guys were there like, yes, we put 20 hours of work into that. Or if you were like, oh, it's just like a little windbreaker. Let What's wrong you. with these idiots? What no. is she going to say now? Of course, no, she's no. going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell you the absolute truth. Katie Irish, assistant costume designer on The Americans, handles... A lot of that Windbra- stuff. The windbreaker account. She's the she windbreaker all windbreakers lady. on the Americans. We talked about it. This is what we want to do. Katie, she really does handle it. She brought that thing into my office, a windbreaker. And I nearly jumped out of my chair. I was like, that's the best windbreaker I've ever seen. <laughs> I flipped out. But again, what's great well, wait, about what did it. Katie think? Was she- Katie was like, I know. Look at this windbreaker. <laughs> because, but, because, but, but interestingly, not because it's an intrinsically cool windbreaker. It's because real. It's, it's so real dumb so windbreaker. Real. It's, exa- it's oh, dumb. It's, it's real, exactly real. what they you know would have worn back yeah. in you know 1983. Why? And this is such a good example of seriously of like awesome collaboration. Art department 
we got clearances for the real thing. I was going to say, Katie and I worked really yeah. hard on That's right, the Molly, logo because we reached too. out to C&P, which would have been the telephone company at the time, which has since been, since been bought by Verizon. Which goes back to season one which when goes, we first found out what that telephone Yeah, when we first was, started yeah. using it. And um, I had sent Katie the logo and it was, I think, maroon and like cream. And she said, are, are we... Was that definitely the only color that they used or would they have done a thing? And God bless Will Lapp, our clearance guy. He called the reps at Verizon and they dug around and found other colors and other things to use How with that logo. That? And that helped. Yeah. It's a like serial calling Verizon to find out if they have that thing. But it says for us to be <laughs> <laughs> murdered. It's trying to get a sucky windbreaker. <laughs> I didn't get anyone out of jail, but I hear that windbreaker looks amazing. I, think, by the I way, mean, a sucky great windbreaker. That's, I mean, really. I'm thoroughly blown away that we all responded this way to the windbreaker. It's, I know, it's but a phenomenon. The other thing that's amazing about it's it, a phenomenon. Too, it is. It's, a phenomenon. It's, like the, it's like the golden white dress of today. <laughs> but you work in addition Not to Not tomorrow, on, just today. In addition to working on character, you also work on a character, which is the period. And one thing I remember talking to you about season one was this idea that in order to capture a period, it can't be a moment in time. It has to be all of the years leading up to that moment in time. Yes. Because all these characters have closets that go back as long as their characters would have closets that go back. Sure. You know, we're we're in Falls Church, Virginia. It's not, I've said this so many times, but it's not like we're in the East Village where trends are, you know, going to be happening much faster. People typically wear clothes that are two to five years old, especially in a suburban area. And remember, it's pre-interweb, so it's like trends happen even more slowly. How do you track down these pieces today in 2015? For the most part, we try to exclusively use um, as much vintage as possible. And we're in vintage heaven. We're in Brooklyn and New York. And so every single day, I have our shoppers out searching, doing recon. And I can tell you, like... How many shoppers do we have? Don't worry about it. So... um, Do they when they find something? Do they take an eye? Do they take a photo and send it to you, or do it they depends. just they just it, go ahead and get it? If it's it, or? a pricey item, they won't just willy nilly buy it. They'll check with me. However, if it's you know, I'm not worried. I'm just curious. <laughs> oh, I swear, oh, okay. <laughs> it's just um, curiosity. Okay, more than five. I feel like Lucy hiding a hat from Ricky. Um, so um, we have two shoppers on on you know normally sometimes more if it's needed warranted warranted <laughs> is the word I was looking for. Um, sometimes we buy things for specific episodes and moments, but a lot of times they'll just be like, oh, I know this is going to be great for Sandra, or I know this is a great stock piece, and they buy it. The only time I let them come back with something that is new and not vintage is if we need it for a multiple, which would be for a stunt. That's really it. So, Can you talk a little bit about the complicated nature of stunts? Because we do a few of those on this show. It's my worst worst, um, um, nightmare because... So we have to not just have multiples for the actor. So let's say maybe they want to do three or four takes. So we'll need four of every pair of pants, shirt, everything he's wearing. But then we'll need (coughs) multiples for the stunt person and for the um, stand-in and blah, blah, blah. So we'll, let's say, potentially need eight of every single article of clothing that will be on camera. And maybe it's, you know, February and it's winter clothes, except that in the stores and online, it's only spring clothes. So we have no way of finding winter clothing at that point, which is why I gave you. we wrote to you guys um, right after Christmas. And we were like, just a heads up, if you plan on doing major stunts, we're going to have a really hard time finding winter clothes. Do you remember that? You don't remember that? 
Yeah. I remember. I remember that. You do? Yeah, I said that's ah, okay. We can't afford any major. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, All you're the like, money's no, going actually, to shop. Costume lady wrote to I, us again. I, no, I actually think we we told you of some upcoming stuff. You did. You okay, did. We, right. we knew about something. I I felt I I thought I just have to put it out there just yeah. so they no, know. No, we like we like. Heads uh, up. Do you have any particular costumes or disguises that have been your absolute favorite over the series? I know you and I talked a little bit about yeah. because it's also my favorite, the wedding party uh, oh my in God. season oh, one I when Martha it. and Clark get married. Particularly what Margot is wearing and that just delights me to no end. For me, yeah, what Margot wore and what Elizabeth wore as Clark's sister. Which reprised oh again in season God. two as Jennifer. I love uh, that Jennifer. character. Yeah. I love her. There's something so, uh, she's just, I don't even know, I don't know who she is, but I love her. <laughs> you know what's great about that and I, I wonder if you feel this in what you do is sometimes we write these characters and on the one hand, we want to make it real. On the other hand, we talk really openly about how in real life, people are sometimes bigger and broader than they are oh, yeah. in, in drama. And those are some good examples. Those characters feel so real and kind of pitch perfect, but everything about them is kind of big, as one would imagine <laughs> his big fake family to be. Weird. And like creepy, and you know, like we all have. I I have cousins like that where you're just like, <laughs> yeah, where you're like, I can't. They don't have access to the internet. Do they? Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, people are going to hear this. <laughs> no, don't worry. Okay, <laughs> not that um, many. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, but Jennifer, whoa! I mean, she's like, what is her deal? I want to know. <laughs> I'm just so but I feel like about for her. me, I feel when like she's that's, talking to Martha about their sex life. Oh, but yeah. I feel like that's one where like the character was so inspired by the costume and the wig that showed yeah. up because in that wig. first scene, you can't separate the two. in that yes, first scene true. that we meet her at the wedding, like she doesn't really have a ton to do. <laughs> but I feel like everyone was so obsessed with that look the and look. what glasses. was happening. The well, yes, really. The combination of the glasses, the wig, the dr- the dress, everything that I feel like that's so informed the scene in season two where she shows up and talks to Martha. But you know, there's also another interesting thing that happened there, which is that wedding scene. On the one hand, was it was totally very challenging and down to the mm. the costume design because it, on the one hand, was a very farcical thing, but on the other hand, the emotional stuff that was going on for Elizabeth in yeah. particular, they're watching Philip go through this real marriage with Martha. It was very deep given where they were at in their lives. So you had to find a way to to dress her that felt real, that wouldn't be a joke, but that captured well, and, both the emotion and the farce. And also at the same time, anything to do with Martha, you know, it's like, I don't, I never want to make her a joke. Yeah. And it could be. It could go that way yeah, really easily. Important. And so it was a similar thing when Jennifer came over and they drank wine and hung out. You know, like I, I love that one too. Like where that where is Jennifer coming from? What is in her bag? I want to know what's in that handbag. Because you know Elizabeth had to put stuff. What if Martha goes in there for like a piece of gum or something? So what'd she put in there? Like what goes through Elizabeth's mind when she comes up with Jennifer? I need to know this stuff. And so, like, that's what I love, you know. And um, Spies call that pocket litter, the stuff they put really? in their purse. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's a term for it. I'm going to start using that just in my day-to-day. <laughs> I like that term a lot. But 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 they have to yeah. really come up with it. I but, mean, how much uh, time do they spend on all this stuff? It's like. How much time do you spend on all of it? Um, yeah, that's a good point. Well, actually, that's props, so. <laughs> Why don't you ask them, Joel? <laughs> <laughs> well, we will. We will. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun to have you and for taking us behind the scenes of thank all the wonderful you. costumes. Thank you so much. 
Now we'll continue our discussion of episode nine with our production designer, Diane Laterman. Um, so I'm sitting here today in DuPont Circle Travel with our production designer. Hi, Diane. Hi, Molly. Can you tell me a little bit about what a production designer does for those that may not know? A production designer is the person on a film or TV show who is in charge of the look of that production. Everything that you see is their domain from the color of the walls to the style that the sets are designed within, whether it's going to be modern, whether it's going to be traditional. This is a little bit of an aside, but the first time Henry came to record something, um, we were trying to figure out, like, where could we be sitting, even though we're just saying it, like, sounds interesting. And Joe's like, can we go sit in Nina's cell? Can we go sit in Nina's cell? We're like, that's not even in the first episode. And he's like, I just love it there. I just want to be there all the time. Like, I think if the actual prison overflows, we should just take some of the prisoners. It looks the same. That's awesome. Well, I was very proud of that set. It was really a joy to design. It took a while to get to it. Uh, What really helped was the research that Joe got, that little video. Yeah, of someone walking through the actual prison, right? Of somebody walking through the actual prison. Um, I had done my own research, which showed prisons that were much more decrepit, and I was surprised to see the pristine condition that that particular prison Mm -hmm. was in. So we decided to do a little bit of a mix of both so we could at least have some great textural walls in our prison, which really helped and suited the scene because Nina had that scene where she's like fixated on the crack and sort of lost inside of that crack and inside of her thoughts. And that was an important part to Dan. Actually, I tried to play that down a little because of the research that we were seeing. That it didn't quite line up. Yeah. And Dan wanted more, more, more. So it all worked out. But um, all the archways and the vaulted ceiling, not easy to accomplish, but it really was very fulfilling. And I'm thrilled with how it came out. And every time I watch it, I love it. I love looking at it, too, I have to admit. It's a great set. (laughs) A little bit into your process, the biggest thing, obviously, is are we going to do a practical location or are we going to build Right. And that's that's the first thing that when you get a script, that's the first thing you want to figure out. What are we going to build? When you're doing a series, at least one set needs to be built. Right. And so coming into it with this season being our third, especially we have certain standing sets that we just know are part of our rotation. The Jennings House, the Beeman House, the FBI, the Residentura, the travel agency where we're sitting and chatting right now. Right. At, at Stavos's desk. Yes. Uh, and what we call the swing set, the swing stage. And Which that's, functions as um, short-term builds. Is that the best way to say it? Yeah. Uh, a swing set is exactly that. It, it swings in for that one episode. Mm-hmm. And um, so you always want to have one swing set on every episode. Obviously, for this episode 309, we used the swing set to build Betty's office at the Correct. machine shop. We actually, for 309, had two swing sets. Oh, we had, that's right. We had the, el- the freight elevator. Where uh, Hans shoots Todd. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we had... Betty's office. And Betty's office was really difficult for us because we are on such a limited budget. What you would want to do, because we were mirroring the office that existed in our location. Right. What what I was going to say is really challenging about this set is the machine shop where we see Philip and Elizabeth enter and see all the male robots that are repaired. That's a practical location. Exactly. So we we even look up and see the light on in Betty's office. But that's 
not that that's right exactly so we found this wonderful amazing machine shop and we knew we wanted to build the office it's you know i think it was a nine page scene it's a very long scene and of course it would kill the crew to have to shoot a nine page scene in a practical location like that very small you can't wild walls wilding walls in small location in small sets are very very important you want a wild wall is when you're able to take a piece of the wall out basically to shoot from a different angle and bring the whole crew in so that way you have space (laughs) exactly exactly if you're watching a show and you have a trained eye you know that it's a set because the camera is in a place that a wall should be Mm -hmm. so we needed to build this office and what we were duplicating what I was given was a wall of glass so that is always deadly when you're doing sets on low budget because what you really want is a trans light of what would be outside of that wall of glass because it's a wall of glass. You want to see what's beyond it. And we could not. So that was a bit of a challenge. Uh, we solved it. We created little bits of light. And I have to attribute this to our genius DP, Richard Rutowski. We created little moments of light outside of the the wall of glass, but with little tiny sources. So you would think that they were far away when really they were only just a few feet outside the glass. Right. You want to feel a certain presence there without it being distracting of like, why am I looking at this window? Exactly. Yeah, you want to feel it. The other thing is what I did was really develop the inside of that set with a lot of detail, all the pictures, creating Betty's family history, you know, black and white pictures that we pulled from various sources on the internet and created this world of Betty's life. This is me. You're very pretty. Yes, I was. You're Mrs. Andy. (laughs) He runs things now. He He won't be here till morning. Fortunately, the actress, Lois, gave us some wonderful photographs of her own throughout her life that we photoshopped her face into a lot of these pictures and we created this family for her. But all of those details within that office kept the interest enough within the set that you didn't miss what was happening outside of it. It's amazing. And I particularly love the seamlessness again of the fight sequence with Todd and Hans where they go into the elevator. And I remember there was so much discussion about how to do that exactly. And with the talk about wild walls, but it's a huge fight sequence in what is meant to feel like a very small space. I'd feel like that's a particularly challenging thing to build. It was um, the most important part about that set was they were in a freight elevator. And as we know, when you're in a freight elevator for whoever has been in one or any elevator, it's not a stable surface, right? It's so got some give to it's it. It's got some give. So you have to build your set on something that will allow the set to move, the floor to move, to duplicate the feeling of being in an elevator. So we built the floor of that elevator on airbags, which we could control how tight or loose the give of the floor was. And it really helped give you the effect that you were in a real freight elevator. What is it like for you to be designing in this period? And and how much do you think about the colors of the period as well as the city and the place? Because you're doing D.C., you're doing Moscow, you're doing, or not Moscow, Siberia, I guess. Siberia. <laughs> um, well, that's the fun of it. 
really that's the fun of it um yeah like we've got some gnarly wood paneling going on here in the jennings yeah. back office i think when you look at wood paneling you think late 70s early 80s Absolutely. everybody does so that that's a very iconic moment we're at, recording this at the very end of the season today's actually our last day of shooting and uh some of the sets are starting to come down. I mean, a lot of the sets stay up over our hiatus when we're not shooting. Is it weird at all or emotional for you to see some of these sets it's come down? heart-wrenching. <laughs> but um, the thing about building sets, it's like sand art. You know, it's not permanent and you know it's going to come down. And they, the swing sets come down really fast. They go up really fast and they come down even faster because we have to make room for what's going to happen in the next episode. So you kind of get used to it kind of get used to it but it's still it is very emotional because I get attached to some of these things every detail it comes from you know somewhere inside of me so it, I do get really attached to all of them thank you so much to both of our guests Jenny and Diane and thank you as always to my bosses Joe and Joel join us next week when we talk about episode 10 stingers you are not going to want to miss this one we'll be with actress Holly Taylor who you may know as Paige and our editor Dan Valverde Huge thank you to our producers, producer Henry Malofsky and Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. I'm Molly Nussbaum. I'll talk to you next week, and I won't be on my computer, so it'll sound a lot better. Thanks again for joining us. I'm over here. Now I'm over here. Now I'm over here. <laughs> Russia. America. Russia. America. It's yeah. the closest I'll get to teleporting. <laughs>